So folks, welcome to the Fremantle Chamber of Commerce and our third Set the Month in Motion podcast forum. Um, my name's Denisha Quinlan. I'm the CEO here at the Fremantle Chamber of Commerce. Um, so pleased with both the crowd that we have in the room this morning, but also our panel of expert speakers today, um, I think are going to give us an amazing insight into both leasing in this challenging market, um, but also uh, some really um, relevant insights for Fremantle given the, the depth of experience that we have um, on the panel here locally. Um, this month we are talking about leasing um, and the ch challenges and the opportunities that the current market I think brings um, for business owners and I think we saw with um, Empire in High Street rec in Highgate recently uh, the impact that even in a challenging market when landlords are, are potentially lifting <laughs> rates rather than reducing them, also really high vacancy levels I think in A grade um, uh, property within the city, we're looking at vacancy rates of around 19%. In B grade facilities, we're sort of looking at around sort of 28, 29%. Huge vacancy statistics and I think from a retail and a hospitality perspective, we're also seeing a fair few empty signs um, around uh, Fremantle. So. We'll get started. The way uh, the podcast works is we'll just do a very brief sort of overview and introduction um, of our panel so that we get a feel for the level of expertise that we have in the room. And then we'll um, put it over to the floor um, to ask your burning questions um, of our, our panel members. Um, so I'll just start with uh, immediately to my left. Um, we have Nick Groveston uh, from Frioche and Frioche. Nick's a commercial lawyer. Um, he, uh, Frioche and Frioche was founded in 1980 uh, within Fremantle and is one of our leading uh, law firms locally. So they cover all range of law um, from family law through to probate, uh, migration and right through obviously to property as well. Uh, Nick graduated from the University of Western Australia and was admitted as a solicitor to the Supreme Court of Western Australia in 1994. He has been a Crown Prosecutor at the DPP as well as a team leader of the competition and consumer law team at the Australian Government Solicitor. Um, his diverse range of client base from both large clients to publicly listed companies through to small businesses gives him um, an amazing practical level of experience within the law and I think negotiating um, complex uh, lease arrangements can um, be a challenge and I think some of the upfront um, stuff is something I'd really like to talk to you about today. Um, next we have Kim Thomason. Um, Kim is from NTY Commercial. Um, Kim is, I was described as one of the leading people. If you're talking leasing, apparently we have to talk to Kim. Um, it was how he was introduced to me. Um, he's represented both landlords and tenants across Perth, so has that really interesting insight, I guess, from both sides of the fence. Um, he established his consultancy in January 2013, specialising specifically in retail, leasing and management. Um, so Nick, uh, Kim brings with us over 30 years of experience, um, which I think will be really valuable in today's discussion. And finally, we have Craig um, White. Um, many of you locally in Fremantle will know Craig. Craig's from FPS Pro Commercial Property, um, a commercial sales and leasing agent um, with significant experience based here in Fremantle. Um, Craig also um, works with us quite closely to activate our small commercial hub here uh, within this beautiful heritage building. Um, and I guess, you know, in dealing with Craig on a, on a fairly daily basis at the moment, his expertise around not only negotiating particularly um, for smaller and uh, retail clients, but also just in understanding the Fremantle market, plus all of the other things that go with sort of larger building management, um, you know, from upgrades of heritage buildings to other complexities like leaking roofs, which is what we're currently dealing with at the moment. Um, so what I'm going to do now is just hand over to the panel to just give a quick overview um, over and above my uh, relatively long-winded introduction of all three of you. And if you could just introduce yourselves and perhaps I guess just in thinking of that overall sort of theme around tighter liquidity both from a, a landlord perspective and a tenant perspective, what your sort of key trend or key observation would be in the market moving forward uh, over the next 12 months. Thank you for that. Um, well, you've given a pretty comprehensive uh, introduction for me. So um, I've uh, been, um, of the 25 years I've been in practice, probably about 15 has been here in Fremantle. So I, you know, I know Fremantle pretty well. Um, and in terms of the last 10 years, I've been 
um, pretty much exclusively in the commercial space here in Fremantle. So in that respect, I do um, leasing work um, plus other commercial and contractual and property type, type work. Um, so my leasing work is quite diverse. Um, so in that respect, um, you know, in terms of the trends uh, in recent times, um, certainly it is a, um, a, a buyer's market, a tenant's market. So there's certainly a lot of hard negotiation that, um, that goes on. So in terms of the level of um, negotiation between the parties, I found it's a lot more comprehensive than it used to be um, because you, you'll put a lease, and often we act for landlords as well, um, you put a lease to, to a tenant, you'll get a lot of changes back and obviously the tenants will, and there's a nodding right next to me, um, but the tenants will push back pretty hard. And, you know, the sorts of incentives that they're looking for now are, of course, rent-free periods, which um, I'm sure these guys to my left can uh, speak more about. Um, and in terms of um, landlords wanting security, um, often uh, they will be looking for things like, you know, security bonds, uh, personal guarantees, um, those sorts of things. Um, there's a lot more pushback um, on that now. So, you know, it's, it's tough for both tenants and um, landlords. Um, and often it takes quite some negotiation to get to a concluded um, agreement. And what I've also found is that when you do have a lease, which has been around for, say, a couple of years, often um, tenants who are in difficult positions will look to renegotiate the terms of the lease. And some landlords say no, but, you know, it's not really in their interest to have uh, a tenant go belly up. So what I've found generally is um, landlords are becoming more pragmatic and even though a lease is a contract and both parties are bound by it, um, landlords want the tenant to continue um, to be solvent um, so they will look to, uh, to renegotiate the terms of that lease. Yeah. Uh, morning everybody. Um, Kim Thomason, so commercial leasing background, so don't shoot me. I'm the guy in the room that has done a lot of retail leasing deals, particularly in shopping centre space over the last 25 years and my background was general agency and then I've worked for some of the bigger landlords around town with Westfield, AMP, Lendlease, um, worked on shopping centre redevelopments, expansions, Garden City Shopping Centre, Lakeside Joondalup, Claremont Quarter, quite a lot of retail space. Um, <coughs> I concur with Nick, um, basically my bread was buttered only on one side for probably 20 odd years which was the landlord side, I basically worked for the landlord. Um, over the last five years, through just some associations with retailers that I've built up, they've asked me to where I can work for them. Um, and there is very much a change in the market. Um, landlords that are proactive and, and care about mix uh, are very keen on retaining tenants where possible. So if you're a tenant and you're in that commercial space, now's the right time to test the market. A lot of people go out there and test their insurance and other things. Go and test your your, your um, commercials around your, your lease. Um, as I say, pragmatic landlords are very, very keen to um, hold cash flow. So that might mean a rent reduction or it might mean some incentive, but that the, the fear of vacancy in this market is, is big and um, where they're smart, they really look to accommodate a quality long-term tenant. And Nick's also right, there's still uh, a lot of requirement around security. I guess the dirty words for a lot of people are, are bonds and bank guarantees. A lot of big landlords are reducing income, taking a chance on a on a new introducing tenant, but they're then looking for three, four to six months bank guarantee. Sometimes that's quite prohibitive, particularly for smaller retailers. So, uh, but the market is is changing, and where landlords are, I guess, um, smart about it. In my terms, they're they're adjusting their their strategy and they're adjusting what they're expecting in terms of returns. So, okay. Thanks, Kim. Good morning. Uh, Craig White, uh, FPS Commercial or formerly Fremantle Property Services. For for those that probably remember that, that we rebranded re um, 12 months ago just to try and not be so pigeonholed to, to Fremantle. Um, started in mid-2012 as a property manager for a couple of years and have graduated into uh, leasing and sales while still holding um, a um, property management portfolio. Um, small boutique company which um, tries to, it's probably more um, local based uh, landlords, Southern Corridor um, as a broader kind of region. Um, I think the big thing for us as a local agency is education for, um, for landlords and tenants. Um, there's a stigma that 
especially in Fremantle, that rents have been so high for so long and leases have tended to go for five or three years and the market has you know, changed dramatically in those times. So a lot of leases are currently coming up that, you know, in 2012, 13, 14, we're all getting, for, for an example, in the, in the mall might have been getting $1,000 a square metre. Traditionally now that might be halved. So um, there's education around old money landlords that traditionally don't own, uh, don't owe any money on the property as to how we um, help guide them into where the market rents sit. Um, and then also educating the tenants of where their best um, deal will be with the current landlord because not every landlord's the same. A lot of landlords, proactive landlords, can help with incentives, fit-outs, um, a lot of different style um, structured leases. Some landlords don't have that ability. They might be a small shop owner, a strata shop. They can only give free rent. They can't help with fit-out because they traditionally just don't have the, the capital to help the tenant out. So it's trying to inform all parties of where a deal might suit there for a certain tenant, but it might not suit in this shop and you've got to try and educate um, all parties. So education's a big one for us at the moment. Just quite an interesting um, theme I just heard through there about, well, I guess, one of also the differences in, in Fremantle um, compared to perhaps some of the the bigger retail centres where, you know, the AMPs and the JALs do have, I guess, some money behind them that they can offer some of those incentives. And I think one of the things I'd be really interested in is your observation of, of Fremantle as a, I guess, a marketplace um, in terms of leasing significant heritage buildings, um, often, as Craig said, landlords without a lot of capital necessarily to invest in fit-outs. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, what do you see as some of the key, I guess, aspects of that in negotiating a lease um, for tenants or for landlords um, that are faced with sort of heritage buildings and potentially expectations around, you know, up to sort of 20% coverage of fit-out and those sorts of things? Yeah, um, I think... Craig um, hit the nail on the head. We've got a very diverse range of landlords um, here in Fremantle, and um, it's sort of difficult for me to go beyond what Craig said because you know, with with the larger people, uh, the larger landlords who have the um, the financial resources behind them, you know, they're keen to explore a number of options. So, I mean, Free Show and Free Show itself has been engaged in lease negotiations fairly recently because we're we're moving uh, to Manning Chambers. Um, and you know we're dealing with with a landlord that you know it's a big landlord. It's got numerous properties, so we've been able to explore numerous options um, with that landlord, whether it be you know fit out or you know rent free periods. That they've got a capacity to, to provide that um, to us, but obviously they're looking for a long term tenant. We're able to provide that to them. But I've also got um, you know a, a lot of clients who may own a single shop or a small shopping centre. They do not have the financial capacity behind them. Um, and indeed, a number of those shops may well be empty. So, you know, they're struggling as well. So it is a case of sort of matching the expectations of the landlord and the tenant um, and ensuring that, you know, each understands the position of the other and then working within those parameters. So, you know, if the landlord can't afford to, to fit out the premises, the landlord may well be able to afford to provide a short rent-free period just to give the tenant a bit of a leg up. Um, so it's really a case of making sure those lines of communication are open between the respective parties um, and, you know, trying to get the deal over the line. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I think if we look at Fremantle as a, as a snapshot and also compare it, and there's a lot of stuff in the press this morning even on, on lease parameters, which are causing some owners some issues in terms of the requirement by Commercial Tenancies Act to give a new retailer five years. And it's a really lengthy process to get out of that for both parties, even when someone wants to be an incubator business and do a one-year lease or a two-year lease, you've got to seek approvals that often aren't granted when both parties are willing. Um, but you know, Mount Lawley, Subiaco, all of these strips, um, different owners, different uh, objectives, different financial positions. I guess if a, an owner, small or large, doesn't have the ability to find funds to give a, a, an incentive in a leasing deal, they can only really negotiate the rent. So the rent's the only key thing they can work on, whether that's reducing it or rent-free, as Nick said. I guess the other thing with a lot of, um, when, it, when a retailer's looking to make a decision where they're going to go, financially is one thing. Obviously, the other is the ability to operate within the space. And a lot of the heritage buildings uh, are old. <laughs> they're uh, inefficient um, and they have 
services that either don't meet code for certain uses. So once again, the owner's at a position where they're, they've got a cash crunch, where when they want somebody in to take new space, they're going to have to refurb, even just to make it a comparable to the other space in the market. So it's a tough one. Um, I think you know, if, if they can't find funds, then they're probably going to be uh, lower down the run in terms of a retailer's choice for, for opportunity if they're competing with someone else who has the capacity to give them what they want. Trust me, in the shopping centre leasing I've done over many years, I, I, I use it as a bit of a joke, but I've given away more four-bedroom, two-bathroom houses than most people in Perth, Dale, Alcott or others in terms of leasing incentive because the incentive to, to bring specialist retail in, particularly food and other uses, the, the requirements that those those operators have, and they have the same requirement almost whether it's strip retail or shopping centre, is significant capital contribution from an owner. So it is a tough ask if people don't have, if owners are, are asset rich, cash poor, it does make it tough. And I, you see that all around our retail strips in, in WA where different owners have different motivations. Firstly, that's one thing you've got to try and educate them on in terms of what market is and what's real and what, what's accepted um, and, and then uh, what others are competing with them with. So yeah, it's tough, tough stars. Um, one thing for, for Freeman, I believe, that's probably been a dirty word for landlords is the pop-up um, retail. Um, and it, there's a probably a stigma that landlords don't like it, and traditionally they haven't. But uh, empty shops, um, you know, are, are pushing landlords to be able to at least entertain that idea. So um, I reckon in the last 12 months, we've, ha we've had successful pop-up shops that have turned into a lease four or five times so having that ability and knowing legislation that yes there is an option there and there probably should be a next step I think it's a big step from six months to five years and there probably needs to be some middle ground but there is there is some opportunities out there with some landlords to to be able to entertain or at least start or try um, and test the market especially for your mum and dad or your startup businesses it's a big one because five years is a is a big risk to take six months is generally on a, a reduced rate so you keep your overheads down um, you don't have to go and spend heaps of capital on a fit out um, and you can just test the market how hey has this worked my rent may go to this much and you know can we pr um, can we can we make that work? So I think that's a big one for, for small businesses to possibly entertain the fact that there is opportunities out there. Not all landlords are, are willing at the moment, but we're getting there. Um, and empty shops over time um, is pushing landlords to at least entertain that idea. Just, just clarify one point from what um, Craig said. Um, so under the Retail Shops Act, um, and, and um, Kim mentioned this as well, there is a, an obligation to provide minimum of five years to, to a tenant. That doesn't apply to a lease less than six months. So that's an opportunity, um, as Craig has indicated, um, for these short-term leases to pop up um, and there to be a testing of the market. And then they can obviously transform into a five-year lease or you know, something more substantive um, if, it, if it works out. So it's using the legislation to your benefit. Um, to, to try and uh, achieve, you know, the objectives of both parties. It's actually a really interesting point because I was reading a statistic, I think, even just on flexible and shared working spaces and the fact that, you know, 16,000 square metres just within the city of Perth have been converted to that more flexible sort of co-working shared space and it's a very different model. Are those businesses that are, or landlords, I guess, looking at those sorts of models working through that six-month rollover kind of period. Is that how that's kind of been enabled? Probably a question more for you guys, I would have thought. <coughs> yeah, from, yes they are, but I, I don't know that it's really clear legally. It, if you keep rolling on these six months, there's some risk. So there's some landlords I've worked for in the shopping centre space again, sorry not to be at the, at the strip retail space, they won't do them because they're worried that someone will put their hand up after three lots of six months and say, you know, I've been here for 18 months, I'm going to claim my five years. And they then claim it at the discounted rent Craig was talking about and with minimal fit-out requirements, things that go against what that owner's objectives are. So there's a couple of good articles in the paper today, um, one's, one's editorial and one's um, journalist written, and they talk to that. And they're actually, if you have a look at the paper today, um, that gentleman's name escapes me, so I'm sorry for that, but he actually wrote a good article and this will, this will make sense for Fremantle, they suggested that the 
the, the relaxation of this should perhaps apply to strip retail, not to regional shopping centres, because they have a different agenda. Um, so it would make it a lot easier for your landlords in Fremantle to say, listen, you can have a year or two years without fear of then being locked into five or something else that doesn't suit later. So I would point out, this is the market's the market. We wouldn't have been talking about this a decade ago or eight years ago. So it, it shows where the market's gone and it actually shows that once again, um, proactive landlords, whether they're in office space or, or retail space, are doing this and, and using it as an opportunity to either grow retail uh, or retailers or, or just to fill their space at a number. So. Um, it's actually a really interesting point just on the press as well and the current market. Um, there's obviously been quite a lot of talk in recent times about vacancy taxes potentially and particularly for high streets about um, sort of almost forcing landlords to, uh, to do something with those properties. From the panel, any uh, particular thoughts on w what may eventuate in that debate? Once again, I'm handing over to these guys. <laughs> Let the legal guy talk about it. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I have landlords who don't want their premises to be vacant. I mean, it's really as simple as that. They have overheads, and bottom line is, um, even if they get a reduced rent, they're not happy, but they're content with that because they want to at least cover part of their overheads. So, um, you know, I, but saying that, um, I have stubborn landlords as well who um, think that, have the probably old school mentality that, that Craig was talking about, who, you know, who don't want to shift. You know, they still think that things are as they were three years ago and um, consequently there's, um, you know, vacant premises there. So I, I don't know what else I can add to that, really. Anything from your end? Uh, I, I understand the sentiment, but I think it's a, it's a, it might be a tough one. So <laughs> I think inquiries at an all-time low as well. So um, our phones don't ring as much. We don't have as much online inquiries. So to find a landlord is really difficult um, if the right tenants come along or even the right pop-up tenants come along I, I can we, we will back ourselves in to try and promote that tenant and, and if the mix is right we'll, we'll try and get it right but I think back to what Kim said the mix is also we can't just be putting in the first person that comes comes through the door and say all right we've got to we've got to put them in um, it's got to work for the for the landlord in in some sense as well because they're they're obviously the the owner of the property so um, they do hold the cards so it's oh, I'd be against finding landlords for for that but there's probably got to be discussion around it. Just ask one more question before I put it over to the floor. Um, we just talked briefly about mix and tenancy mix, um, and obviously with a push for vacancy taxes and, and a push to, to uh, have premises let. I guess there's a balancing act between, and particularly for Fremantle, where the, the eclectic walkability, you know, almost antithesis of um, big box centres and, and offering a really diverse um, high street. How do landlords get that mix right um, in a market where I guess across the board there probably isn't a number of people knocking on the door um, to be able to in, in some ways um, create the, the tenancy mix that um, was available previously? Um, point of difference is probably a big one. So Fremantle has that, as you say, the, the great streetscapes, um, you know, the walkability that, um, you know, the big shopping box centres can't, can't provide. But oh, I think ultimately it's price for, for me. Um, you've got to get your market price right. You've got to, you've got to entice a good retailer to come to, to come to town and set up here and, be profitable. Ultimately, that's where it's at. That's where the business owner um, wants to make, have a profitable business and, and make it work. So if that means having a point of difference and it's X amount of dollars in a shopping centre, but you pay for the foot traffic and the and the volume that go past, hey, why are you coming to Fremantle? Uh, well, you've, you've got to match it somehow. If you can't provide super uh, capital with incentive or fit out um, to make your your shop stand out um, it's got to be price I think so um, again it's around that education and hopefully us you know promoting that fact um, from a from a mixed point of view if I talk shopping center first um, you guys might not work it out 
or, or, or pick it up as you walk through a shopping centre. But shopping centres try to try to create precincts. They actually try to do what happens eclectically or, or by by many years of evolution in retail areas and high street areas. They try to create food precincts and fashion precincts and then we take the precincts for fashion to youth to mainstream to upmarket all of these areas and um, so in a lot of ways shopping centers try to reproduce the feel of what um, good urban areas create and you look at Westfield Centre at Carousel now um, significant food and beverage offerings used to just be a food court and a cinema now there's oh, a dozen eating houses large format taverns bowling alleys and um, putting holy moly putting all of this sort of stuff so they try to reproduce and pull away from from urban um i guess the challenge for for strips is to try and wrestle some of that back and it's it's with as you say eclectic mix different retail that can't be in a in a shopping center area um but the other risk i guess for high street is two owners side by side um very different agendas very different rent structures and they both put a nail bar in or they both put cafes side by side so you actually lose the competitive nature of being in different spots. Um, that, that's one of the issues with high street retail. There is no control of mix. So depending upon what people's agendas are, you, you either have something that's very vanilla or, or it can be very different. So it's a real, real hard task when you've got different owners with different objectives. Um, so I, I think it is a challenge for those areas because the, the big centres are trying to take the reason to come to Fremantle or to Subiaco or to Leaderville away from a a customer and drag them back to the, the centre. So, yeah. Alrighty, I might hand over to the floor now. Um, any questions just around either the topics we've brought up or some burning questions around leasing? <laughs> Kim, Simone Perovich. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. Do you find that the um, inquiries is actually from both of you. Um, inquiries are more around general retail or hospitality at the moment. You're saying the phones, you know, they've, they've gone a bit quiet, but where do you find that? Yeah, that in Fremantle, definitely in, in F&B for sure. Um, a lot of our most recent deals, are decent deals are in F&B. Um, yeah, general general small tail retail is yeah is very low so um Fremantle at the moment if you look i think there's something like two or three thousand more licensed venues uh per person uh coming in the next six to twelve months so there's a um there's a brewery in south Fremantle. frio socials just opened um i think jared is trying to get an f and b in in uh in the manning estate so that that's Traditionally, where I see Fremantle at the moment is a weekend, evening style tenancy at the moment. I think it's lost its come to Fremantle, walk the streets, um, start um, walk the streets feel. Um, so yeah, that, that's that's pretty. pretty Do you think, in your opinion, that we're going to hit that danger spot that Mount Lawley, for example, hit, where we have no day traffic left? Yes, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely worried what the answer is to fix that. I'm not too sure. Um, landlords are, you know, you, you, you kind of gravitate to where the where the industries are, are strong and if it's F&B, well then landlords are looking for F&B tenants at the moment because they know that maybe that will work. So um, I, I just don't have the answer for the <laughs> how we make inquiry for the, or, or, or get the foot traffic back. I think that's, if we can make the, the, the basics for me are parking, safe streets. You know, you want to you want to make sure that when if people do come to Fremantle, they feel safe and it's easy to get around. Um, and if that's the case, well, they might come back. Um, you know, there might be a stigma at the moment where the streets don't feel all that safe and and it is hard for parking. So um, maybe that's a couple of areas that could be focused on. And it's a bit of a catch-22, isn't it? Because um, retail will come back if the people are here, but the people won't come back if there's no retail. So I don't know how you fix that, but certainly my experience is in the last, you know, 10 or 11 years, just, you know, walking outside at lunchtime, you know, going to get something to eat. It's just uh, so many, uh, or so much fewer people around than it used to be 10 years ago. And I don't know why that is, but it's just how it is at the moment. Just on F&B being the answer for everything, um, 
if you look at what happened in the CBD five or six years ago with Brookfield Place, um, I was involved in some of that. Um, they were more than four bedroom, two bathroom homes being given away to very experienced substantial operators um, from the print hall down to the treasury to all of those guys. I think four of those have changed hands. Print halls had to spend a fortune and refurb and change their offering. So F&B is not the answer to everything. F&B, if you get it right, will work. But I think we can go too hard too quickly in a lot of areas in Perth because we, unfortunately we're still Perth. Um, so there is an issue there, but it is an area that shopping centres have targeted to hold people for longer in the shopping centre, which is what you're describing in Fremantle. You want to hold people. Um, if the F&B is right for the workers, so there's a daytime trade and an evening trade, then it, then it has some relevance. But if it's only chasing um, substantial meals after hours trade, then that'll be an issue, yeah. We should maybe be having a conversation about residential <laughs> leasing and development because um, absolutely without the residential and without even the office space is another big conversation that we could um, definitely burrow down into, um, I think, in this, um, in this city. Uh, so you had a question just at the end there? Um, I'm sort of on the coal face as far as uh, batting for tenants in financial difficulty, trying to negotiate a better deal with the landlords. And I would say in the last, say, six to nine months, I've had four instances where I believe that the rents have been too high um, and the landlords have refused to budge. I've guessed in one instance they've asked for a rent increase, um, opportunistic perhaps if the tenant paid it they would sit tight, but I think in the background there probably looking for a vacancy to demolish and read of Mallop. But the other three um, refused to move. So we're talking about um, a tenant's buyer's market. From my side, I can't see it. Um, are we talking hypothetically, optimistically, or what's I think the situation? it's a really, really good point. And it feeds so much into also those other conversations around director's guarantees, personal liabilities, loss, all of those things and those clauses within contracts that when tenants are in difficulties and landlords won't budge, it has such a flow-on effect through the economy just generally. I'd be really interested, I guess, from a legal perspective initially about renegotiating in tough times and I guess the, the opportunities, but as we've highlighted so many of the challenges where landlords don't budge on those things. My, my experience is these smaller landlords are generally... Uh, prepared to budge, uh, that's because they don't want empty shops and they've got less of a financial capacity to absorb having an empty shop. The bigger landlords, perhaps not so much, but it really comes down to each individual landlord, in my experience. Like I said, some are pragmatic, some are not so pragmatic. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, as I say to landlord clients, if, if you don't budge and this um, tenant goes belly up, where to from there? You know, tenants aren't knocking down the door. So... So it really depends on the individual uh, landlord in each case. Uh, fully agree. I, I assume all of those instances are either in lease or at lease renewal. So when a landlord has a sit, yeah. So this is always the, when we talk about it's the right, it's a good market for tenants. That's if you're moving potentially or looking at new vacant space. I know that's that's not the right answer across all boards, but that, that's where it sits. The, the, a new deal or new space, you'll get a significant deal. The issue that often happens is landlords who have a sitting tenant just assume the music continues to march on with a slightly higher volume, and it, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't always work that way. So every case is individual. Uh, once again, back to I think pragmatic, smart, commercial landlords. They probably get it, and they know there needs to be some form of reduction. What happens at a bigger level is, um, and then you're in the insolvency game when you get to a point where someone says they can't pay the rent. We then ask for P&Ls and other items to come through and if they're genuine about it and it's real, then there is a decision to make. Most of the people I deal with prefer cash flow over over vacancy. So there might be a reduction, yeah. Um, just on the same vein, um, I was just going to ask, have you got any sort of practical advice for tenants that are in that situation in terms of um, how they lead those negotiations? Would you advise speaking with property managers and things like that or any um, any tips? Yeah, I think providing evidence is, is key. Um, anything that you can show that with data um, over a period of time that backs up that 
three years ago it was this, two years ago it's this, one year ago it's this. I think that's all important information rather than just hearsay, we're struggling, we put a hand up. Okay, well let's let's look at some figures, can you produce them? I reckon if you're proactive, speak with your property manager and say, here, here's my pack, here's where it was three years ago, here's where it is now. And just say, look, we can't see this improving, can we have some assistance? Because um, I think... Uh, at, at, at stages, and I, I'm a property manager as well, um, I, I do get the wool pulled over my eyes occasionally. Uh, people say, oh, I'm just jumping on the bandwagon here. Oh, we're struggling. Okay, no worries, show us your figures. No, I don't want to show you my figures. Why not? Because they're actually not that bad. So, but, they, you know, it's, it's, it's like that. Like, so, um, you, we, you know, we've got to keep our wits about us. But I think if you can provide data um, to back up your, your claims, I, I reckon that's your best chance. Yeah. Um if if I can give you some advice, it's what Craig's saying, get your financials in order and then maybe get someone to represent you um, because often, you know, I know from having dealt mostly on the landlord side, I usually welcomed a, a leasing advocate or a leasing rep because hopefully they had actually market evidence to assist on both sides, to assist the expectation of the retailer because what they want as a reduction might not be as justified or correct because they might have a figure in their head that, a friend told them, or whatever the story is. So get market evidence and get market help if you can. If you can afford it, that's the other part of it. If you're struggling, that's always not that easy. But that helps a lot, as Craig says. That the, the a lot of owners won't understand a P&L for um, a camera shop or a phone shop or a or a food tenancy. They need someone to explain to them that these are the margins. This is the profit level they should be at. This is why the rent to to turnover is too high. And um, a lot of landlords won't get it. Um, and with um, generally what I found with smaller landlords, they tend to have a direct relationship with the tenant themselves. They don't have a property manager. Um, so they tend to have their finger on the pulse. So they generally know how the, the tenant is going because they're generally there, you know, quite often and, and talking to the tenant. And they see what's happening around, um, around the area as well with respect to other tenancies. So, you know, they're quite savvy. In, in that respect as well. And um, like I've said, they tend to be fairly pragmatic and, and realistic because they don't want a vacancy. Um, and just going back to the issue of inbuilt, um, inbuilt uh, rent reviews, um, a lease is a contract, of course, and, and all parties are bound by it, but leases can be varied just like any other contract. So just because you've got an existing lease, it doesn't mean it can't be changed. Um, but from a tenant's perspective, if, if there is that discussion that happens, um, you just need to make sure it's properly documented and there, that there be a, a variation of the lease um, so that there's no dispute later on about you know, the rent having to go back to what it was before. So it just needs to be properly documented. Absolutely, and I think one of the, the key challenges to negotiating a lot of those things, um, as we pointed out, where either tenants are in strife or landlords are you know, feeling that, that pinch as well, there's an awful lot of emotion and attachment and potentially houses on the line through that. So I think your advice to focus on the market data and to have independence in that conversation and to document it appropriately because I've seen also clauses come in where someone's said, yeah, we'll give you a rent reduction, but by the way, when you're doing better, you just pay all of that back. Um, uh, you've just got to be so careful for those sorts of things as well. We just have one other question just here. Yeah, sorry, hi, I'm Sarah. <coughs> We're from Space Market, so we did the Maya activation. Um, we've approached five or six different landlords about space in Fremantle. Um, all different things from six-month activation to paying just a reduced, not insubstantial rent. Um, and have had everything from, like, abuse to, you know, laughing in our faces, which is something that we're seeing more and more in Fremantle. So what would be fantastic would be if there are these pragmatic... Um, landlords that you talk of because um, <coughs> I'm yet to we're yet to find even one of them um, that information would be really great to us we've got quite a lot of small business tenants um, on our books waiting for space um, we recently got the de um, defense housing on Queen Victoria they gave us all those and we had them filled in a week with um, florists you know there's quite a few different an architect um, so maybe we could communicate a bit more on that in, and if they are available it would be great to 
to we meet them. We almost need a gold star rating for yeah. landlords and perhaps a list of good ones to that might To be communicated make them, yeah. would, or to, to know would be fantastic because we could tenant them in a second. Yeah. And get the, some of that eclectic mix that we've just Absolutely. been talking about. Absolutely. Small business, creative business. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's where forums like this, I think, are so important. And we had one recently um, with all the property leaders and developers um, in a similar kind of way. And I think the more conversations we can have around these things, I think the easier it makes all of us to negotiate our way and understand those different perspectives, both the landlord perspective and the tenant perspective. Yeah, I'm Mark Jeffrey from Frisho and Frisho. Um, I'm not one of the lawyers there, so the, the question is probably for, for Nick or also for Simon down here. Uh, I guess, you know, I've, I've observed over the last three months the, the process of um, negotiation, negotiation of the lease with the Manning buildings um, with, with Jared. And so, you know, Frisho and Frisho obviously is a, is a law firm, so you've got, um, you know, five partners reading over contracts and, and, and lease documents where they know exactly what to look out for and, and it's probably been, you know, it's, they've got leverage in terms of the negotiation process. So my, my question is probably for, for Nick or maybe even for Simon here. Um, Simon does a lot of work in the property area. What, what are the clauses that people should really look out for in lease documents that the, the real stand out so that they know, you know, the potential red flags for them, you know, into the future like these rent increases or, or other things that might, where they might come unstuck? Did you want to? Yeah, okay, well, well, maybe I'll start and yep. then I can sort of kick over to Simon. So, uh, so from my own experience, looking at that lease and being a director of the company that was to be the tenant, obviously what I'm looking for is whether or not there are any personal guarantees, okay? Because, you know, the general rule is if you're a landlord and you're looking to lease a property to a proprietary limited company, you'll be looking for personal guarantees from the directors or maybe even the major shareholders of, of that company. And the reason being, of course, is that if that company goes into liquidation, you want to ensure that you have another target um, that you can go for to, to try and um, basically recoup the monies that will be owing under the lease. So, you know, that's, that's obviously something, an obvious point that you need to look out for um, to see whether or not there's a personal guarantee or guarantees that are being sought um, under the lease. Also what landlords um, sometimes try and do is put in what's called a charging clause. Um, so there'll be a clause that says something like um, the, the tenant or the guarantor you know, charges all its right title and interest in property um, for repayment of monies owing under the lease and um, any obligations that, that are due and owing. So the effect of that will be that the landlord, if they want to, can put a caveat um, over your property as security for, for repayment of the lent, uh, rent. So, you know, they're, they're the obvious things that I look out for. Um, I'm sure Simon can speak to this in more detail than I can, but, you know, things like make good obligations, you want to see um, to what extent um, those make good obligations extend um, at the end of the lease. So if you're getting a premises, for example, that already has some sort of fit out in it, do you have to restore those premises at the end of the lease to um, a bare shell or can you just basically give it back in the same condition as it was before with that existing fit out, um, subject to of course fixing up any um, you know, holes in walls and, and things like that. So you know, that's an example of things to, to look out for. Um, Simon, do you want to uh, tell yeah, us any more? Yeah, further, further to a couple of things that you touched on, just um, with those charging clauses, sometimes they can be embedded in the general conditions of a lease or, or within a guarantee provision as well, so they might not actually be that obvious, so it just reinforces the point that you really do need to read every clause and read them very carefully. Um, and uh, yeah, with the, the make good, for instance, um, you also just want to make sure that things like fair, and wear, fair wear and tear are accepted because often you don't see that. Um, and, and I mean, other things that I'd say is just um, in terms of some of the provisions around um, default and termination and the requirement for the landlord to give notice before terminating for non-payment of rent or something like that. For instance, you just want to try and, um, you know, make sure those notice periods are as long as possible and, um, yeah. I think that's absolutely really fantastic advice and I think, you know, just even speaking from personal experience, when you're emotionally attached to go into a certain premise, it's very easy at that moment to think everything's going to go fantastically well and to go, okay, yeah, I just want to be in this fantastic place. But 
the directors' clauses, the personal guarantees, caveats on property, and that even relates to suppliers' agreements in many ways, um, and make good provisions. I think, you know, there's a number of landlords that make quite a bit of profit on their buildings out of uh, make good provisions um, at the end of a, a time when people are ready to move on. So in tough times, I think for all of our businesses in Fremantle, those three or four clauses are it's absolutely fantastic advice. And I certainly feel if I had my time again, I'd be looking more closely at some contracts that I signed recently. Can I say one more thing? And if, if promises have been made by a landlord um, before you enter into the lease, just make sure that they appear in the lease. So if there's been a representation made um, or an inducement provided, make sure it's in the lease or at the very least, make sure it's documented um, beforehand so you can at least point to emails or, or letters whereby those things have been promised. Um, because if, if you don't have them documented, then it's going to be a you know, sort of he said, she said type type situation, which is which is you know not great for, for a tenant. Um, so yeah, that's one thing to keep in mind. Absolutely. And when we talked about, you know, being a, a positive market where people are offering incentives around fit out and around it's it's almost that front end and back end, isn't it? It's it's looking at well what what has been promised at the front end and is that documented so that I find I'm not actually having to pay or get approvals for things and suddenly my what was my fit out incentive has got eaten away because the landlords asked me to run cable through something else that I wasn't expecting. Um, or vice versa at the end that those some of those make good provisions are, are covered often in writing. And also if terms are renegotiated that there's evidence of that and that those clauses are looked at with the same level of scrutiny as you would look at an original lease. We're almost at time. We've probably got time for one more question, Mark. That would be fantastic. Sort of a slightly sort of out there question and it's probably for, for any of you guys at the front. Um, my wife's in retail and she's got a number of different um, retail outlets uh, and, and recently we went through a, um, a situation where she had success and failure in, in, in a couple of situations and and the situation is this, she, she realised that it was more beneficial if she actually owned the premises that, that she was renting. Um, and so she went to one landlord and said, I'd like to buy the premises. And he effectively laughed at her and said, why would I sell it? Like, I've got no reason to sell it. And in the other case, they said, yes, we'll sell it to you. So now she's, you know, she's renting in a number of her um, you know, retail spots and she's actually been able to buy in another. Have you got any sort of success stories where you know, people have been able to approach that landlord and say, hey, you know, I actually want to you know, purchase the property? I know that it's a little bit complex with some of the, the places around Fremantle, but it might be possible in some areas. I think that's a really good point. And twofold, I'd also be really interested in your view of owning property versus leasing property in a commercial setting as well. Well, the only thing I'll mention about that is an option, well, I use the term option. Um, one of the alternatives that's open to a tenant is to actually try and negotiate an option to purchase within the terms of the lease itself. So they basically rent out the property for a period of time and they have an embedded option to purchase within the special conditions of the lease, which will generally set out a formula by which the price is to be calculated. And that way it gives um, that option to the tenant at a future time, if they want to, um, to, to purchase the property. I haven't seen the example too often in retail, but you see it a lot in commercial where people will be renting and they'll end up buying the premises they're in or, or nearby or close. Um, that obviously makes sense from a financial planning point of view, super fund, pay the rent to yourself, not to a landlord, you control your destiny, all of those, those items. Um, I've definitely written up contracts that have had an option to purchase where it's appropriate on a strip retail or a strata and they're usually a first and last right. So... If someone's going to take it to market and there's an offer, you get the first go at it and then you get the last go at it. So that's something that can be worked into a contract and can protect you. So you don't necessarily, you've got a lease to protect you at a level, um, which gives you your tenure, but then it gives you more more protection after that, I guess. Um, but I haven't seen it happen a lot in retail, to be honest. So good, good for your wife, though. <laughs> and just the second part of that question, um, if... Hypothetically, you gentlemen were out there about to uh, to launch your uh, your new fantastic commercial business, be it you know sort of office space or otherwise. What would your recommendation be over leasing versus ownership? Well, we've gone down the leasing path, um, but you know our our needs are quite significant in terms of space. So in terms of a capital outlay to purchase a property like we are you know leasing. Um, it would be very significant for our business and you know we've taken the view that for, for our business it makes more sense to to lease 
Um, but obviously we've given ourselves um, option periods in there, so we've got security of tenure uh, for a significant period of time. Um, but you know, if we were looking for um, a smaller space, as indeed we have two premises at the moment, uh, we own both of those premises because from our perspective, for a smaller space, which involves a lesser capital outlay, it makes more sense to buy it. I agree with Nick's comments. Yeah, if you, if you can afford to buy, buy. Uh, if it suits your purposes. It's just not as flexible as leasing. And as we've talked about in this market, you can get quite an attractive incentive from office to retail to industrial in, a le in this market leasing. So that might be a motivation at the moment, but long term you're probably in front by owning. So Probably just gaining advice, I reckon, is, is the biggest one. Don't just jump at it just for the sake of jumping in. It is gaining advice from whoever that might be, more than likely the accountant. It's a lovely way to finish on uh, gaining advice too. I think, you know, some of the best property deals I've done have been where I've got really good valuations. You've gone in with the numbers. You've been able to actually put it on the table in an independent way and take the emotion out of it. And I think, um, gentlemen, having your expertise here in the room um, is something we're very, very grateful for. I think uh, in terms of covering the, the different aspects, both from a practical perspective but also from a legal perspective, um, which is the key to getting a lease right, isn't it? It's, it's allowing the emotion of the business and the, the ideas that you have to take life and take form in a physical space but also bearing in mind those really challenging contractual obligations and I think for many of our businesses here there's no other contractual relationship greater probably than the lease and so few of us um, probably invest as much time as we should in getting the data right and getting the advice right. So uh, we obviously have the details of uh, all of the gentlemen who have participated today so if you've got any further questions or you know would like to take up some of that offer of um, some further independent advice thoroughly recommend uh, all three of you so thank you very very much. Um, we will close off the podcast session now um, but please return to having a snack and a further chat um, we're not actually going anywhere other than switching off the podcast um, on the podcast it will be live um, from early next week so you can download it on google podcast apple spotify anything we're basically around town um, we will be running these um, once a month hopefully with the continued support of the city of Fremantle. Um, our next one is on cybersecurity and protection of data. So quite a, a different tact, but another um, quite significant issue for businesses and particularly small businesses that are is gaining momentum as we're getting more and more very, very clever um, attacks on our data and our systems. So gentlemen, thank you all very much. Folks, thank you all for attending and for your insightful questions. <laughs>